Today we're starting uh, the next, uh, our next series, uh, which is uh, called Glorious, and we're going to be looking at uh, the character of God. We're going to be focusing on that, and I just want to take a few moments to unpack why that is so significant. At the end of the New Testament, you come to a very short letter that's probably written by Jesus, his half-brother, Jude. Uh, He's writing to believers about the salvation and faith that has been entrusted to us as followers of Jesus. But in it, it, it contains a really strong warning about godless people slipping into churches and bringing wrong teaching about God. Things like, God loves you so much, it doesn't matter how you live or what you do. And the aim of those people is to undermine God's grace uh, that uh, in fact teaches us, God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and for us to live godly, self-controlled, upright lives in these days. See, the point that Jude is making is this, is wrong teaching about God, which uh, causes us to uh, uh, have wrong thinking about God and who God is and what he's like, is everywhere around us. The world is surrounded by wrong thinking about God. And Jude is urging us to build ourselves up in our most holy faith and to help those who are struggling and doubting. And at the end of uh, this short letter, he breaks out in worship. It's called a doxology. And this is, is what Jude says. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault, And with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. If there's anything that we need to know in these days, it's that God is glorious. And that all glory, majesty, power and authority is his now and forevermore. Whatever we have seen over these last few days is a, pay, is a small drop in the ocean to the glory of the God who created the heavens and the earth. Doxology, our worship of God, comes out of our theology, what we believe about God. And if what we believe is faulty, our worship will be faulty. It's why in the 20th century author A.W. Tozer says this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what do we think about God? When we think about God, do we think about the amazing grace and love of God that has brought us into relationship with him? We did nothing to deserve it. Do we think in 
about how great God is and how powerful is and how awesome he is? Do we delight in God? Is the worship of God something that brings us great joy? Do we ever have times when we are lost in wonder, love and praise at who God is? If not, maybe it's because we've lost sight of the greatness of God. And in this, our new series over the next couple of months, we're going to be exploring the wonder of who God is. And we're going to focus on the fact that he is glorious. We're going to find out just how glorious he really is. And today we're focusing on the God who is incomprehensible yet knowable. God is incomprehensible. In Psalm 145 verse 3 it says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. There was a time when no one knew the deepest part of the ocean. No one knew how deep the Marianas Trench was. They just couldn't work it out. Now we've managed to work it out. God is unfathomable in his greatness and his glory. And getting our heads around God is impossible. I don't know about you, but we've all experienced the incomprehensible. I remember when I was uh, doing uh, a course in town planning uh, before I became a town planner. And uh, I remember doing a valuation lecture, uh, a lecture. And the lecturer was explaining about valuation, how you value property. And uh, he was using this equation. And this equation was the most complicated thing I'd ever seen. It made absolutely no sense. It was absolute gobbledygook. Absolute gobbledygook. And the reality was, there is no valuer, there is no estate agent who ever goes around with an equation in the back of their head thinking, well, oh, what's this, uh, this, uh, this factor here? And the, I mean, it's, it's like that, isn't it? They're looking for uh, how much uh, the house down the road sold for six months ago. No one's using equations like that. There are some things... Uh, for us that are incomprehensible. There are some people that are incomprehensible that we just simply don't understand. You see, our problem is, is that we can't know and we don't know everything. Our minds are finite and so some things make no sense to us. What is dark matter that they talk about? What is it? dark matter how do you know it's dark you can't see it what is it is there a center of the universe all I can think of it if, if there is a center of the universe please God let it not be Barry Island <laughs> there are some moments where you think God why did that person do that it makes no sense to me why would they behave like that but our biggest conundrum involves God. It's the question of every generation and every people group. If there's a God, what's he like? And if you're listening today, you're here in this place or you're listening online, 
I want to say to you, you've probably settled the first part of that question in your heart, that there is a God. And so I'm going to take that for granted. But if there is a God, what is he like? You see, if God exists, by definition, he must be infinite. And here's our challenge. How can human beings with finite minds understand a God who is infinite? It's the question that a character called Zophar poses in Job chapter 11 verse 7. And he says this, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? The question's rhetorical because the answer's obvious. The 15th century philosopher and theologian Nicholas of Cusa said this, Our minds tell us that we are ignorant of God because we know God cannot be known unless the unknowable can be known, the invisible seen, and the inaccessible reached. Understanding God is impossible. John Calvin says, His essence is incomprehensible. So his divinity wholly escapes all human senses. You know, we find that deeply troubling. The existence of a God we can't understand, it leaves us feeling anxious and fearful. Why do we care? Animals don't care. The truth is, we are different. Human beings are different. We have been created in the image of God. We're not God, but we're created in his image. And so it explains our desire to understand and comprehend the incomprehensible. We aren't God, but he created us to a desire to know him and be known by him. Listen to what the writer of Ecclesiastes, verse, chapter 3, verse 11 says. He says, God set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Your desire to know God was placed there by God himself. And yet you cannot fathom God because he is great and awesome and way beyond our finite minds. Our desire to comprehend God is doomed. We'll end up, if we do uh, uh, and think we understand him, we will have created an image in our own minds of God. We will have created an idol. We will diminish God. I want you to imagine Mastermind, if you ever went on Mastermind. I sometimes, I, I, if I've ever watched Mastermind, there are moments I watch it and I think, why on earth did they choose that as a specialist subject? And they, they, pick, a, they, they pick something like the complete works of Shakespeare. I mean, I would be going uh, for Midsummer Night's Dream, especially something, Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, uh, Act 1, Scene 1. I mean, you try and keep it as small as possible. You imagine that someone went on there and said, a mastermind said, what's your specialist subject? God. <laughs> Are they going to get nothing right? 
They're going to get naught. They're going to get naught because God is so beyond our thinking. God is the only expert on God, I read. Someone wrote the other day. You know, if that was all there was to say, we would be without hope. Because even though he is incomprehensible, God is knowable. Jen Wilkin, the Christian author, says this. The God of the Bible is infinite, immeasurable, unquantifiable, uncontainable, unbound, utterly without limit. God is incomprehensible. This does not mean he is unknowable, but that he is unable to be fully known. Paul writes in his letter to Timothy, he writes about the God who is eternal, immortal, and invisible, the only God. And yet he says to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. We may not be able to comprehend God. Know him fully, but we can know him in part. The Psalms tell us that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. The Bible tells us that we can hear his voice. You know, I have been married to Annie for coming up to 33 years. And I will know her better than any of you here. And yet I don't fully know her. And there are moments when I overstep the mark and I say something and I say, oh, I know you always do that. She says, Steve, you don't know me. And that's a phrase I hear uh, from time to time. You don't know me. And what she's saying is this, you don't know everything about me. And the truth is, I don't. You see, none of us know everything about each other. It's fortunate, isn't it? I am so glad you don't know everything about me. But God has no skeletons in the cupboard. And the things that we don't know about God will never disappoint us. They will only ever bring us overwhelming joy. And if we're to know God better, it will be as he reveals more of himself to us. And God does this in three ways. God is knowable in three ways. And the first way is through his works. The universe tells us about the one who made it. Creation gives us some knowledge of God. And so Paul is able to say in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, he's able to say this. What can be known about God is evident because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. Being understood through what he has made. As a result... People are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. 
Creation shows us, the world around us shows us something of the wonder of God, of who God is. And yet in Job 26 verse 14, we're reminded that creation is but the fringes of his ways. That's what the author tells us. What we see in creation is just the edge of who he is. And the fact that many refuse to accept the existence of a creator from what they see in the world around them is a reminder that the infinite God cannot be known by observation. Knowing God takes a work of grace in the human heart. God revealing himself to us. God is, is knowable through his works. He's also knowable through his word, the Bible. Some years ago, I had the privilege of writing a book which uh, amazingly got published. And when Tim was moving here, uh, Tim and Lizzie were moving here from Portsmouth, uh, Tim uh, took on uh, the, the delight and pleasure of reading that book. And he did it for this reason. He said, as I started to read it, I started to get an insight into what you were like. Oh, my word. <laughs> Maybe that's why he hasn't asked me to come around and do any, any DIY for him. But he, got, he was starting to get an insight into what I'm like and as a person. When we read the Bible... We get to understand what God is like because God is revealing himself in his word. And what we read are, uh, they are analogies. They are not literal because God is trying to explain himself, reveal himself to us with our finite minds. So whilst God is spirit, he describes himself in the word of God in human terms so that we understand. So we read about the hands of God. We read about uh, the eyes of God roaming throughout the earth, looking at the hearts of men and women. We hear about the voice of God being powerful, able to split mountains. God is helping us grasp something of what he's like. God is revealing himself what, through what theologians call non-communicable and communicable attributes. Let me just take a second to explain what they are. Non-communicable attributes are those things that are true of God which uh, are outside our frame of reference that we can understand. So we can understand the concept that God is all known, but it doesn't really make any sense to us. I mean, I think I, uh, we're watching, when we watch The Chase or something like that, I always talk, I, I will say, I'll give the answer before the answer comes out. And Annie goes, how did you know that? And I go, well, I just knew it. And then it's wrong. <laughs> because I always think I know the answer. But God knows everything. And it's beyond our mind. So we, we understand it, but it's just beyond us. So it's difficult for us. It's non-communicable. It's something that it's difficult for us to relate to in our world. Similarly, God is all-powerful and all-present. So God is here, 
But he's also there. How, is, how does that work? We, we understand it, but it, it's beyond our frame of reference. That's the non-communicable attributes of God. But also God has communicable attributes. Those things are true of him. Those things are, are true of him that to a degree that we share and understand. So we read about a God of love and justice and righteousness We read in Psalm 103 that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. And we understand that a little bit because we understand what it is to love. We love people. There are people that we love deeply. And that's why God's word is important to us. As we read it, we get to see what God is like. It helps us know God. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, we have, we have the ability to somehow reflect something of the character of God by who we are and what we do as believers. We undoubtedly fall way short of what God is like. But we can show the love of God in the way we behave and act. And in the coming weeks, we're going to look at some of these uh, non-communicable and communicable attributes of God. We're going to unpack those in the coming weeks. God is knowable through his works and through his word. But finally, he's knowable through his son. Jesus is the most perfect photograph of God that has ever been taken. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, it says the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature. Jesus is the outshining of the glory of God. Paul says he is the image of the invisible God in Colossians chapter 1. And in John chapter 1, the apostle John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us a beautiful understanding of who Jesus is. And he says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory The glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. Jesus said, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. We have No idea of what Jesus physically looked like. But we do know what he was like as a person. And by reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we get to know God. How will God treat us when we are sick, broken or needy? We look at how Jesus treated people. We look at how he treated Bartimaeus, a blind beggar on the side of the road without hope and without God, with nothing going for him. 
And he cries out in the crowd, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There's a whole crowd around him, but Jesus stops for a blind beggar and sets him free, changes the course of his life. We see how Jesus stops for a rich man called Zacchaeus, who is a cheat and he's a thief. And he comes to see Jesus and Jesus stops for him and says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm coming to your home today. Salvation is coming to your house today. How will God speak to us in our shame when we have let ourselves down, our family down, we've let God down? We look to Jesus. We see how he treats in John chapter 8 a woman who's caught in the very act of adultery. Everybody, the crowd around expecting him to have her stoned because she's broken the law. And he, Jesus just says, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. And the crowd dissipates one by one. And she's left on her own. And she sa he says to her, does anyone condemn you? And she says, no. And he says, neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. How does he treat us in our shame? With mercy and grace. How does he treat us in our unbelief when we're having battles of unbelief? Like the man who comes to him whose child is sick and Jesus says, he, he, Jesus says, if you can heal him. Jesus says, if you can. And the man says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. We have all had moments like that. Help me in my unbelief. How does God treat us in our unbelief? Oh, useless. Can't you even believe in me? No, he helps us. Jesus is generous, compassionate, loving, accepting, challenging. We come to Jesus just as we are, but we never stay the same. He is righteous, he is truthful, he is glorious. Michael Reeves says, there is no God in heaven unlike Jesus. There is no God in heaven unlike Jesus. That gives us great joy and great comfort. We may not know everything about God, but we can know this. There is a God in heaven who loves us unconditionally. And as we come into land this morning, it leaves us with a challenge. A challenge for each one of us. A.W. Pink, the uh, 20th century writer, said this. The incomprehensibility of the divine nature should teach us humility, caution, and reverence. There are three ways for us to respond to him this morning. The first way is we respond with humility. He is God. We are not. He is all-knowing. We 
are not. He is sovereign. We are not. He is still on the throne. And so we submit ourselves under God's mighty hand. And we trust him. We trust him. It's the hardest thing to do when things don't work out. Remember Mary and Martha in John chapter 11. Lazarus is ill and Jesus comes fairly, very slowly to get to where he is in Bethany. And he dies. And Jesus arrives and Martha comes out and she says, If you had been here, Jesus, he wouldn't have died. How many of us? It's that sort of phrase. God, where were you in that situation? If you'd been here, that wouldn't have happened. God, why have you let me down? Those thoughts run through our hearts. But here's this. He is God. We are not. He is all-knowing. We are not. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But hear this, Lazarus was going to die again soon afterwards. There was a day when Lazarus died and he went to be with the Lord forever. And we need to see things not as in our, using our own finite minds, but we need to see in terms of what Jesus says, what the scriptures tell us, and we need to trust him. And we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. We respond with humility. The second challenge is one of care, reverence. You know, familiarity breeds contempt. What do I mean? Listen, Jesus, as he was growing, his, everybody in the community knew Jesus. They thought they got Jesus. They thought they knew him. They thought they knew who he was. And so when Jesus' three-year ministry starts, they say, oh, he's just the carpenter's boy. And they, they shut him down. They treat him with contempt. They thought they understood him. He wasn't allowed to be anything beyond what they believed him to be, what they knew him to be. We must not get over-familiar with God? Do we try to restrict God and keep God in a box? Do we try to restrict what he can do in our lives? If we do, it won't end well. We need to read the scriptures again. We need to read the gospel, see how Jesus was with Peter on the boat in Galilee. They're out fishing and Jesus says, throw the net on the other side. And Peter's like, well, if you say so, I'm a fisherman. I've been fishing all night. He throws a net on this and there's a massive catch of fish. And in that moment, he falls down on his knees and says, get away from me. I am an unclean man. He had, in his head, he'd boxed Jesus in. I, I get Jesus. Oh, wow. This is the son of God. John, who had been Jesus' closest disciple, had his head on his Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. And he's in prison on Patmos. He 
knows Jesus. And then he has a revelation of Jesus and he falls on his knees and on his face as though dead. We must not be over familiar with him. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He's the captain of heaven's armies and he will return one day and he will put this world to right. We treat him with reverence. And the final thing is, as we finish, is with worship. You see, our great need is to know God. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, which we read earlier, where Paul is talking about knowing God better. He's not talking about general knowledge. He's talking about profound personal knowledge that we can have. We may not know all there is to know about God, but we can know him who to know is life eternal. Through Jesus, we can know God intimately. Do we? Jim Packer, in his book, Knowing God, says this, It is impossible to know about God without knowing God intimately. This is the danger of sterile intellectualism. It's easy for us to fall into the trap that think, of thinking that since we know a lot of things about God, that we must know him well. Do you know God? Maybe this morning you've come and you're not sure. You can know him personally, intimately. You may not know, there'll be many things you don't know, but you can know God through Jesus Christ. By putting your trust in him and giving your life to him through what Jesus has done on the cross for you, you can know God. It's possible for you today. But for each one of us, we can know him better as we worship God. As we worship Jesus, we can know God better. Knowing God through Jesus provokes worship. Because he is glorious. He is wonderful. He is marvelous. He is magnificent. He is superb. He is sublime. He is spectacular. He is lovely. He is excellent. He is delightful. He is enjoyable. He is pleasurable. He is glorious. He is altogether lovely.